thank you, worship team. Now I read the other day where John Calvin, every before he preached every sermon, he said, "Spirit, come." And I want to. I've just prayed that prayer. Um, two things before we start this morning. One, we're going to read this morning that Jesus says that the works of the world are evil. And when I say that, and when you read that, some of y'all are going to go, duh. First, the fact that the world is evil should not make us mean, it should make us mourn. Christians are not called to be militant, combatant, mean, angry people. We should first see the evil that's in the world, and we should lament. We should be broken over the fact that this world is not what it should be. At no point in the New Testament, in the entire Bible, are the people of God afforded the privilege of looking upon the rest of the world and saying, we should mourn the evil of the world. Second, we're going to talk, as, as Jesus does, about that word world. The works of the world are evil. The, the world is evil. When I say that word, when Jesus says that word, what I don't mean and what I don't want you to hear is me... What I want, don't want you to think in the back of your mind is um, North Korea, Iran... Democratic Party, Republican Party. It is very possible, there is a dangerous possibility that I could preach this entire sermon saying that word world and you secretly in the back of your mind thinking that I mean to talk about someone who isn't here. I'm talking about you. When Jesus says the word world, he means the world. Dare we not read this text and the entire time we're hearing it, and Satan loves to do this and does it frequently, read it and go, man, somebody, I, I know somebody really need to hear that. <laughs> Isn't that how we do it? Sin subtle. Don't do that. This, is, this is text is for you. It's for me. No one is exempt. Everyone is a sinner. The last two weeks we've been in John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is a turning point in the entire gospel because John chapter 6 is when Jesus in some ways goes from hero to villain. Chapter 1, John the Baptist testifies about Jesus and Jesus calls the disciples. John chapter 2, he turns water into wine. John chapter 3, Nicodemus meets him at night and he tells him he's got to be born again. John the Baptist exalts Jesus at the end of chapter 3. Chapter 4, Jesus comes to the woman at the well. Tells her that she's got to worship in spirit and in truth. He heals the official son. John chapter 5, he heals the invalid at the pool. At the beginning of John chapter 6, he feeds the 5,000 and he walks on water. And then Jesus takes a break from the miracles and starts talking about the actual gospel. I'm the bread of life. This is the work of God, that you believe in me. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. And what we find in John chapter 6 is that Jesus is saying this, 
There's a difference between being in all of me and actually abiding in me. Between watching me from afar and surrendering your life to me. And that's when we find out who the real disciples are. That's the same today. You, you start preaching the, the real gospel, you're going to find out who's saying amen and somebody's like, i got to get. That's when we find out who likes getting entertained, who likes having their bellies filled, and who actually wants the bread of life. It's the same today. There are plenty of people today who love coming to church when there's an event or a program. And then there are those who come because they're hungry. We're going to see this morning that it's, it's not that people just don't believe in Jesus. Jesus says they actually hate Him. That's strong. Jesus says... The world doesn't believe in you because it doesn't believe in me. And the reason it doesn't believe in me is because it hates me. So this morning I'm going to ask ask you one question before we read the text. Okay, just want you to think about this question in your mind as we read and throughout this sermon. Why does the world hate Jesus? I mean, just think about it. It sounds kind of simple, but, but just entertain for a second. If Jesus is offering eternal life, He's ushering in the real kingdom, a power unknown to the world. If Jesus is the best thing we've ever seen, He is life itself, why do people hate Him? Well, He's going to answer it right here in John chapter 7, verses 1 through 24. If you want to stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're new here, we just do this just to show how much reverence we have for God's Word. It's not because we worship the Bible just a a small tradition we have here because we believe that this is God-breathed. And John writes this. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. Wow. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? There was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, No, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. 
and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Let's pray. Father, send your Holy Spirit now that I may faithfully deliver your word and that it may profit our souls and that anyone in here who has not called upon Jesus as Lord and Savior may do so. All these things we ask in your Son's name. Amen. The Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, is the last festival in the fall season. It's held after the agricultural year in the Jewish calendar. It's basically to celebrate the harvest, basically to celebrate God's provision for the year in their crop. The irony, though, is that the Jews are celebrating God's provision from the sky. Meanwhile, the true manna has just come down from earth, and they don't like it. But what we see here is that it's not just the unbelievers who don't understand. The disciples themselves don't really fully understand. They're trying to get Jesus to go out in public and do more things. And Jesus is looking at them like, no, no, you don't get it. The problem isn't my publicity. It's their unbelief. It's their hearts. Jesus' own brothers don't believe Him. Jesus is like, I can go out and do as many miracles as they want me to do, and they still won't repent of their sins, and they still won't call upon a Savior or surrender to my authority. Jesus will show Himself to the world by dying on a cross. That is His hour to which He's referring. And people will only come to believe in Him by being made new from the inside out. I was, I lived in Africa. As a matter of fact, I was talking to Bob's daughter, um, Dawn, Brielle. There we go. I was talking to them this morning about I, I was an intern for about five, six months in Uganda and lived with a, with a pastor, a church plant. And I heard the pastor telling this story one night about this local village called Busana. Busana. It was, it's on the Blue Nile River and closer toward Lake Victoria. And he told me about, he was talking about this village he'd visited where the village, they have this tree. I uh, forgot the fruit. has fruit on it. And the, the, they have a large snake that lives in the tree. I am not lying. And that the people were going once a week, once a month, what have you, and sacrificing things to this gigantic snake that they kept feeding in the tree. And I'm 22, 23. I've got my pocket knife. I'm like, let's go gut that thing and pull it out of the tree. Probably so fat now, you just pull it down and just rip that thing to shreds and just tell them the gospel. <laughs> and I just didn't understand why the pastor hadn't done that already. The snakes in Africa are pretty big, but still, I mean, it's like we got two or three guys here. Let's just go and, you know, kill the snake. And he goes, I'll never forget, he goes, I'll be. We don't want to kill the snake. We want them to kill their own snake. It took me a second. I was 
and I know that, we can just go and do it for them. And what I realized was, it didn't matter if I went and killed that snake, they were just going to go find another fat snake to put up in the tree. It is the very same thing here in America. It doesn't matter if you rip people away from the money they love. It doesn't matter if you rip them away from pornography. It doesn't matter if you rip them away from drugs. If God doesn't change their heart, they're still going to find a way to worship themselves. That's why they need the true gospel. That's why Jesus isn't sparing them the hard teaching. That's what their souls need. People will not love Jesus unless Jesus changes their heart first. That's how the gospel works. The message goes out, God works in their hearts to believe it, and they become saved. And in John chapter 6, last week, he told them how this happens. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. That's what we read last week. At this point in the sermon, I want to make one thing clear, if it's not clear already. The reason that the 11... So far, remember last week, everybody left him but the 11... Well, the 12, there's Judas. The reason that those 11 are staying and that they're really believing Jesus, it's not because they're somehow better people or they're more spiritual or they're somehow more discerning. It's not the fact that Peter, James, and John are any better spiritually than anybody else in the world. It's because the Holy Spirit is at work in their hearts and not at work in anyone else's. We need to get that straight because you could read this entire passage and think that somehow the disciples are just a little bit more spiritual than the rest. Nobody is. We cannot read this text thinking that somehow the 11 disciples had something in them that made God more disposition. He found Peter on a boat. The Father granted these men to come. Jesus found these men. This is absolutely critical to understand because the world hates Jesus, y'all. Period. And these 11 men were of the world and Jesus called them out of the world. Did the same with you. They didn't bring themselves out of it, neither did you. This morning I want to look at three reasons Jesus gives as to why the world has rejected Jesus. Number one, Jesus testifies that the world's works are evil. Number two, Jesus does not speak on his own authority. The world judges by appearances and does not with right judgment. Number one, Jesus testifies that the world's works are evil. They don't like that. I was a pastor for about a year in Kentucky. And it was in a real rural area. I've told y'all about this. It was in Bardstown, bourbon country. Beautiful area. A lot of drugs. A lot of uh, meth addicts, meth labs. And so a lot of the work we did was working, doing very... I mean, it's hard work for anyone who's ever done it with drug addicts or recovering drug addicts. We had a local couple who was living in a trailer. I guess they, they had met each other by doing drugs. They were trying to clean up their lives... And they came into church one Sunday. And by the grace of God, one of our elders just decided to really, really pour into this couple and to try to get their life straight. It was really admirable. It was fantastic. For, I mean, we, we paid their groceries. We drove them, this guy, to get him a job. We had a guy volunteer to take him to work. 
mean, this guy, I even drove him back to his dad's house because he had walked out on his dad like two years ago and never seen his dad again, and I actually got to witness him seeing his dad for the first time in two years. Mm. Just, just slowly piecing together his broken life. And because we love them, we wanted to address the sin problem. I mean, we, we couldn't just clean up his life. Because we cared about them, we cared about the fact that he was technically married to another woman and living with this woman. And what we found when we begun to talk about those things and to confront his sin was that this gentleman was willing to have us buy his groceries. He was willing us to bring him to church, drive to go get him a job. He was even willing to depart from drugs. But as soon as we started sharing the gospel and God's will for obedience and holiness, it was too much. And that is what Jesus means when he says in verse 7, the world hates me because I testify about it that, the works are, that its works are evil. The world's ready to receive the gifts. The world is ready to sit in awe of God's power. The world is more than happy to watch Jesus from a distance. But apart from the Spirit of God, the world wants no part of Jesus and it certainly doesn't want to be told that it's evil. Unfortunately, this is why in countless churches today we see pastors who would gladly tell people that they need Jesus, as they should, Gladly tell people that Jesus saves, as they should. Gladly tell people that Jesus changed their lives and that we can know the power of Jesus, but they're unwilling to let their people know that their works are evil first. I want you all to remember something this morning. I'm going to repeat it twice. Satan wants to offer you the power of God without the holiness of God. Satan wants to offer you the power of God without the holiness of God. Satan wants to offer drug addicts the ability to recover from their addiction, but not the ability to see the evil in their own hearts. <coughs> Satan wants to offer us money and success in the American dream, but he does not want us to see the pride and jealousy and greed that's festering in our hearts and our need for Jesus. Satan wants us to come to church and think that grace was something we needed once and not something we need every single day. The gospel begins with a question, really. It begins with one question. Do you confess that your works are evil and that your flesh profits nothing? Do you confess that? Can you confess that? If you, can, if, if you can answer that question in the affirmative right now, you can place your faith in Jesus. However, that is not something that most people can say that they believe. In fact, most people do not believe that they are inherently evil apart from the grace of God. Evil? What are you talking about? What? No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's um, what's his name? Uh, Kim Jong-un. Yeah, he's, he's the evil. No, I tell you, it was giving them nukes to Iran. They're evil now. I'll tell you, Nancy Pelosi's dang evil. I, 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 I get her out. Isn't it funny? We can always find someone else who's evil. And then Jesus comes up and is like, you're evil. I'm out. <laughs> Satan wants us to put evil on a gradated scale. When ultimately, ultimately, I mean, in some sense, there is different levels of evil. But ultimately, there is no scale. What Jesus says is, it's my righteousness or your condemnation. 
want you all, real quick, just to think briefly. I want you to take the vilest, most evil person you can think of. You got him? Hold on. A couple seconds. Okay. I wish Josh were here. I was going to say Tennessee fan. Okay. <laughs> you deserve hell as much as they do. Now, when I said that, if a little part of you went, <clears throat> that was your flesh talking, and it didn't like being called evil. The world hates Jesus because its works are evil. It doesn't want to be told that it's evil. And I want to be even, even clearer. Without the Spirit of God, enough about y'all, talk about me. Abby Todd's heart is evil if I am not changed by the Spirit of God. I want to be seen. I want to be praised. I want to be significant. I want to put others below myself. And my natural inclination is to find an excuse to say that I didn't really get what I deserved. That is my natural disposition, y'all. Paul David Tripp said this. When in doubt, just read him. Self-righteous means you're more gentle, understanding, and excusing, and patient with yourself than you are with others. That's me if I'm left to myself. I am self-righteous to the core, y'all, apart from the Spirit of God. How many pastors you hear say that? The reason we must be born again by the Spirit, the reason we got to start over and be born, as it says in the Greek, from above, is because we are evil to the core. Because we're evil, our works are evil. Here's the good news. All the pain and suffering you deserved for your evil, now you have a taste of what Jesus endured satisfying the wrath of God on the cross for you. Second reason the world hates Jesus is because Jesus does not speak on His own authority. Verses 15 through 18. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning... When he's never studied. That's amazing to me. People, people still want people to go to seminary. It's unbelievable. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Verse 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Wherever I've worked, including the church, inevitably, and maybe y'all can attest this too, everywhere I've worked, ever, there is always some tension between the people at the bottom of the totem pole and the people at the top. Always. Tell me if you're, if you're working somewhere where there's not some tension with some, with, when authority is around. When I was at Ragu, there was a distrust between the blue-collar workers on the floor and the who? The white coats. They'd be walking around like, they could do some real work. Wish I could be a pencil pusher. Big college degree. Just things like that. When I was a substitute teacher, there was, a, there, was just, there was something that changed whenever a teacher made the jump to where? Administration. And they weren't one of us, you know. Sold out. <laughs> When I worked at Sprint, there were the salespeople, and then there were the managers. Guess who didn't work on commission? Managers. 
So you better believe and be like, yeah, you can say that. You're not on commission. As a pastor, I mean, I'll tell you, as a pastor, I mean, did you not think that I would hear a little bit being an authority figure in a church? I mean, not as much as Sprint, if that's what you're wondering. No matter if you're at work, even if you're a parent, you don't have to go very far to find people who resent authority. And what Jesus is saying here is when people come on their own authority, they're seeking their own glory, and what they really want to do in order to keep that glory is to please people. But when people come on behalf of a higher authority, they're not trying to please people. They're not even seeking their own glory. They're seeking the glory of of their authority. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, my teaching is so hard, it's because it comes from the Father. I'm trying to please the Father, I'm not trying to please you. I'm not trying to tickle your ears, and that's precisely why you know it's the truth. It comes from the Father. The reason that we trust the Bible today in this church is it becomes from a higher authority than Abi. It comes from God. Therefore, because it comes from a higher authority than ourselves, we know that since there's no goodness in us, there is a goodness to be had in knowing and believing and living that book is for our good. This is something I've been convicted of lately about my preaching. I just wanted to take a little time here. I love it when people compliment my preaching. I'm not saying it happens a ton, but... They're, I like it when people come, good good sermon, preacher. Let me say that, please. It's encouraging. And even though I appreciate it when people encourage me about my sermons, I don't take compliments right after the sermon as the true barometer of how good the teaching was. And let me explain. Because people can like my sermons, sometimes not because of the word that was preached, but because of the story I told or the joke that I made. The best way to gauge whether someone received God's authority and not Abby's authority is if they can recall weeks later what the text was and not just what I said. Because it's very possible for you to be here this morning and hang on every word I have to say and never value the words that I'm actually saying and the word that it's coming from. May I never preach a sermon on obvious authority, but on God's. Because that is, in fact, the way that Jesus came. He precisely preached from the Father's authority, not His own. The third reason that the world hates Jesus is this. The world judges by appearances and not with right judgment. Verses 21 through 24. Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it was from Moses, but from the Father's. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. The Jews have confused the purpose of the law. They're so committed to the letter of the law, they're angry at Jesus for healing somebody. That's called missing the forest for the trees, if you will. What they should have done is, oh, praise Him. He's finally here. The reason we've been keeping the law, to show us our need for Him. Thank you for coming and healing because that's exactly what we needed. They didn't do that. I mean, it's easy for us to kind of look at the Jews and make fun of them, but don't we do the same thing in the church? Just do things because why? 
kind of always how we did them. Instead of doing things because it points us to the gospel. That's hard to do and to maintain. We love to do things just for the sake of doing them while never asking what? Why? My goal as pastor is if anyone walk through that door and go, why do you do that? To give them a reason that we do it. Instead of going, well, we're Baptist. Read the handbook. It's, it's a Baptist thing. No. When I lived in Louisiana... They celebrate Mardi Gras, and they have this cake they call what? King cake. Every store in Louisiana sells them, and in southern Mississippi, and in East Texas. Has anybody ever had a king cake? Raise your hand. Oh, you have had a king cake. What is it about the king cake, for those who've had it, that is so distinctive and you need to know before you eat it? There's a baby inside. There's an actual... Okay, hold on. She knows then. You're proving my point. She knows. There's a tradition, a Cajun tradition, that they make this king cake, and there's a small figurine of a child inside the cake, and whoever eats it or bites on it, tradition says they, usually I'm supposing as a woman, is supposed to be the next to get pregnant. It's a fertility tradition. See, you got to tell people that before you give them a king cake. <laughs> so I was just, I mean, I, hey, those are really good. I'm sure. <laughs> There's a small child in my teeth. They're like, oh, yeah, you got the kid. <laughs> why, is there, why is there a child in the cake? Oh, it's just something stupid we do. Certainly someone had to have a reason to put a child in a cake. It's creepy, honestly. Now, most people can tell you why they do it. There are parts of Louisiana, they don't know why they do it. That's just a child in a cake. As creepy as it sounds. Matter of fact, they just named the minor league baseball team in New Orleans the Baby Cakes. It's a really creepy logo if you want to Google it. That is just a glimpse of how... Our habit is just to do things and not even question why we do them. I do it. I'm a creature of habit. You know, the good thing is the church doesn't struggle with that at all. You know, church, we, we, don't, we don't like tradition at all in churches. Church, traditions don't have any place in churches, never have. And then Jesus comes and says, okay, look, 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 I know, you, here's the law. The law is good. You're misusing the law. Because if you were using it rightly, it would show you that you're not righteous, I am. You can't save yourself, I can. You can't heal your heart, I can. And if you saw me healing and you saw the Savior coming, of whom the law pointed, you would celebrate, not condemn me. That's how a lot of Christians treat traditions of the church. We still struggle with that. I hope we have a bunch of traditions at this church. I hope we start them. We started Manly Monday last month. But may we never begin any tradition at this church that we don't have a reason for doing it. And may that reason always be what? The gospel. 
The Jews were angry with Jesus for healing a guy because they'd forgotten the very purpose of the law, which was Jesus. They hated Jesus, he says, because they had a superficial view of the kingdom of God. They were judging by appearances. It's very easy to judge Jesus and his church by its appearance. People do it all the time. I mean, look at the questions people ask when they're looking to see which church they should go to. Hey, how many people go there? Hey, I know all that about the path. Was the VBS good? Okay, uh, yeah, I mean, that, okay, but what is, the, is the men's ministry good? What, tell me about the program. People ask questions all the time about churches and never get to the stuff that really matters, exercising right judgment, like, do they preach out of the books of the Bible or do they just kind of hop around? I mean, tell me, does the pastor just get up and talk and, you know, tell a story and a theme, or does he actually open up the Bible and preach from it? Do, what do they believe about the gospel? Do they serve the community at all? Does the church center around God's word, or is it all about just kind of food and fellowship? God is calling us to more than just surface level things. He's calling us to right judgment in the kingdom of God. There's no way to see the world rightly unless it is through the lens of the gospel. That hateful co-worker that hates you at work, you cannot get along with. If you judge superficially, they're a miserable person. You need to tell them off and you need to maybe go tell them where they can go. If you had right judgment, you would know that they are a sinner who's hurting in need of grace just like you. What about that disobedient child you have? If you judge superficially, just how kids are, they're going to grow out of it. If you judged rightly, you would know that your child is conceived in sin, their heart is is evil, and they need to be discipled, not merely raised. If you had a bad fight with your family member, if you judge superficially, you go, man, let's just avoid them, cut them out. I hope they get out of the will. Don't, I just don't want to deal with them. If you exercised right judgment, you would know that they need the gospel, and their heart is just like yours, apart from the grace of God. Evil. Do you start to see how... When we see the evil in our hearts, we can finally make sense of our world and we can understand why Jesus had to go to the cross to die for sin. But telling people that their hearts are evil doesn't preach well, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> some, well, I don't know, I hope not, but some of them might come in for Father's Day and I'm here, I'm talking about y'all are evil and be like, I ain't going back to this church ever again. <laughs> you seem so nice. Telling people that they're not as good as they think they are, it still doesn't preach. It didn't preach for Jesus. How in the world is it going to preach for Abby Todd? But that is part of the gospel. This morning, I want you to consider something. Have you finally become convinced that your life is evil without Jesus? Have you finally become convinced that your life is filthy rags apart from the gospel and the saving work of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that with all of your heart? Because if you do, you have the sweetest assurance that you can find. Because your Savior went up to the cross and He said, it is finished. But if you don't believe that, if you've never repented of the evil that's in your own heart, if you're still convinced that you're really, I mean, you're not perfect, but you're still good, if you're still holding on to that kind of stuff, so subjective, it's really you're as good as you think you are kind of stuff, if you're still trying to earn your own righteousness instead of being 
admitting that you're dead in your sins, you can repent and believe in Jesus right now and He will become your righteousness, your perfection, your goodness, your holiness, and your salvation. That is the Gospel. We are evil and He's good. And if we're found in Jesus, we become good as well. Father, every good and perfect gift comes from you and not from us. Every good and perfect thought we have in our brains comes from you and not from us. Every good and perfect event that has ever happened in our lives comes from you and not from us. Every perfect will, every inclination, every good decision, every good event that has ever occurred inside of our tiny lives is from you and we didn't come up with it ourselves. Father, let us go of the lie that says that we're not that bad. We're bad! And you are so good. Father, you are a good, good Father. And Jesus is good. If there's anyone here this morning who has not come to see how good He is, Father, I pray they would trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all these things we ask in your Son's name, Amen.